This is the podcast of Principia Journal of Classical Education. I'm Brian Williams, general editor of Principia Journal and host of the Principia podcast. We are recording today from the studios of Classical Academic Press in central Pennsylvania. Principia podcast is the place we dialogue with some leading scholars connected to contemporary classical education and examine key moments, educators, texts, and issues in the long history of classical education. Uh, We are joined today with Dr. Philip Donnelly from Baylor University, uh, where he's the director of the Great Texts Program and professor of literature uh, with specialties in John Milton and Renaissance literature. Uh, Dr. Donnelly did his MA and his PhD from the University of uh, Ottawa in Canada and has an article coming out in Principia, Volume 1, Issue 1 in February 2022 called A Grammar for Human Making in a Digital Age, Bonaventure on the Mechanical and Liberal Arts. And he's joining us today to talk about that article and his other work. So, Dr. Phil Donnelly, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So, the title of your article a Grammar for Human Making in a Digital Age, Bonaventure on the Mechanical and Liberal Arts. We, I kind of want to unpack every word in there almost, um, except the prepositions, which I understand those. So, a grammar, for human, a grammar for human making in a digital age, colon, Bonaventure on the Mechanical and Liberal Arts. Can we start with the the earlier phrase, a grammar for human making in a digital age? What exactly do you mean by a grammar for human making? So there's a a general sense in which grammar, of course, is is itself a a liberal art. Uh, It's one of the verbal arts. Uh, It involves knowledge of causes regarding how to use words in order to make faithful and appropriate renderings of reality. So in this case, I'm talking specifically about a uh, the kind of theological grammar uh, that Bonaventure provides, a way of speaking about um, the process of human making, right? So, uh, and what, and it's specifically in his account of, uh, in this text he wrote called the um, De Reductione Artium Ad Theologium, uh, which might be roughly translated as on leading the arts back to theology, um, as opposed to a reduction of them. Right. right. I always think reduction is a bad translation of that for for the, yeah. in the in, for this piece for sure. Um, so that's one of the things I talk about is sort of clarifying what's meant by de reductione. But the the idea of a, a grammar is that um, it's and and the preposition is important. It's it's for the uh, with respect to you know giving an account of uh, the character of human fabrication. Okay. And what I want to suggest is that there's something about how we understand our own making that that Bonaventure, I think, illuminates, specifically for us who live in what I, at, in the title, call a digital age, but you might call it a post-industrial culture, in a sense, in the wake of the, the mechanization of how we make things across the board. Um, and that's the, and, and the larger issue is that there are increasingly, the actual making of things has been delegated to entire systems that actually no one in particular understands. Okay. Uh, and, and that uh, you can, whether it be, you know, you give someone a pile of minerals and tell them here, make a laptop, right? Um, no specialist can actually do that because you've got to delegate 
you know, whole systems to actually to produce the artifacts that then get assembled, right? Um, but there are simpler examples of this, you know, this was pressed home to me even when I, in a previous life, when I worked in, in the construction industry, I realized at a certain point that nobody building houses actually got to make a whole house start to finish. You know, your job was to become a, a, a general contractor who, you know, subcontracted everything. Um, and that's uh, across the board, you know, any kind of making that we do typically um, isn't just delegated to other people, it's also then uh, transferred in important ways to systems. So what that means is that the, the living knowledge, which is the, the core of what, what an art actually involves, a living knowledge of how to make things, um, it re resides less and less actually in people. Uh, and that's the condition of what I call the digital age. Well, okay, so what do you mean by what do you mean by living knowledge? You said the living knowledge of how to make things, be because yeah, those so people I, are all making things still. Everybody involved yeah, yeah. in making a house is making is is making something. Well, even a contractor doesn't get to do the the engineering or the designing, right? And doesn't get to enjoy the house, right? So in in sort of the big picture of things, nobody typically in our system gets to have the idea, the conception, to bring it into kind of reality, and then actually enjoy the, the, the thing when it's made, right? That, that whole, the whole process of, uh, from, from kind of conception to, uh, to the enjoyment uh, is all parceled out, right? Um, and I think that's the, um, uh, when you recognize that the, the, the core of what it is to, and again, this is, would require a fuller explanation of what Bonaventure's up to and, and the, the account that he gives of human making is that there's different aspects to it. And we can just jump jump to that. I mean, the, he talks about um, the the artifact itself, right? The thing made. Um, that would be the thing made. The thing made. Yeah. So you get a your your result is going to be a, you know, say a tire, whatever. You get a thing that's made. Right. Um, uh, but then there's the process of making the thing um, that goes from that is this idea that he goes talks about going from a conception or a, a similitude is his technical term for it, to uh, communicating that form to a tangible uh, thing, that process of communicating the form, uh, which is the process of making. But then there's also what he calls the, um, the enjoyment of the thing, which is to do with its final cost, right? Okay. Um, but then there's a, a, an intervening part that he calls the quality of the thing. And, and there he kind of gets into the details of what it's gotta have in terms of its, um, it has to have a certain kind of um, form uh, that's going to also endure over time, and it's going to um, be useful, right? So there's kind of a combination of qualities that, um, and so we have, and I'm kind of jumping ahead here, um, when you compare his account with what we do, right, we've got lots of stuff. We've got more, more artifacts than ever before. Indeed. Right? My and basement is full can. of them. My basement right. is full and of artifacts, of, right? Yeah, and, and lots of people are, are, are doing stuff with them. There, there's lots of the enjoyment in terms of the final cause, they're doing stuff. And some of the artifacts are even sort of well-made, right? There's they endure over time, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe it's less of them are, but you know, there, there's a kind of a certain quality, they have the quality aspect to them. But what's, what's missing is in, the, in our experience of those artifacts that, surround, that fill our lives is an experience of the, the making, going from the idea to the uh, tangible artifact. Now, what I want to suggest to you is that people still do this, but the, what's happened is we do this now under the rubric of 
of leisure activities. So the things that formerly we called mechanical arts, like weaving and hunting, um, or, or 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 woodcraft, yeah. now are pursued as leisure activities. Right, because right. because we don't because have to do them. Within, yeah, because somebody else could do them. Yes, well, and you can't you can't actually make a living doing these activities if you're competing against industrial economies of scale. Okay, right. So, so take, take the example here yeah, in, yeah. in Central Texas. There's a, right. a a local community that makes tables, right? Handcrafted tables. Beautiful and um, beautiful tables. Um, now the the fact is that they can't compete price wise against Target, for example, selling tables. So what they have to actually do is sell their tables in effect as works of fine art. And that's how they're able to do it. So they are not, they've, they've actually changed the game and that's how they're able to kind of in sense, get the, in a sense, the, the, the labor value out of the price, out of what they're making. Okay, so, which is the same thing that happened with William Morris and the arts and crafts movement in England in the late 19th century. William Morris is trying to make finely made, fine made tables and tapestries for people's homes, but they were so expensive to actually produce uh, compared to what people could get from machine-produced artifacts, right. if you will, that only a kind of the upper echelons of society were able to buy William Morris's stuff. But as a socialist, frankly, he was trying to get them in the homes of you know everyday laborer uh, in England, which right. didn't didn't happen. So, but are you suggesting, like, what are you suggesting we've lost? In, yeah. in 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 the current in the current digital age because I because when I'm thinking you know okay you know Abbot Suger is designing Saint Denis the first Gothic cathedral in the you know 13th century I, he has different craftsmen working on different aspects of that cathedral yeah. none of whom yeah. can put up the whole thing right. so so what what, yes. what what have we lost and what's the difference yeah. See, that's the crucial distinction is obviously specialization has existed from the origins of civilization right going back to you know you know you get a, a mythical version of this in you know plato's republic right you know the the idea that you know one person does one job for the community uh division of labor you know that's that's very old idea right, right. Uh, so that's not what i'm getting okay. at it's the idea okay. that in fact that the the knowledge even of those discrete sort of subtasks right right um is increasingly delegated then to um to mechanical processes, right? That that the so that even in those subordinate roles, the people who are sort of running the machines that fabricate the objects don't know how to make the objects, right? Uh, so that's that's where the 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 issue. Is. So it's not just a kind of delegation or division of labor. It's the fact that even within those subdomains, um, we uh, people no longer have a uh, an experience of saying, okay, here's here's an idea, I'm going to communicate this form to this matter and, and get the result, even if it's a, a bolt that goes into something else. So this is why Bonaventure's account is so helpful, because I'll kind of back up another step. Right. In his, his larger account of the, the process of human making, those, there's kind of the four parts that I mentioned, right? There's the, the, uh, the artifact itself, and then there's the process of its making, then there's the qualities of the thing, and then there's the, the enjoyment of the thing, right? Those four parts, he argues that those actually have a, those are analogous to uh, the fourfold sense of scripture. 
<laughs> okay, okay, of course he does. So so give us hold on, give us those give us those four points again. And then and then yeah. be, before you go into the four ways of interpreting scripture, give us those four points again. The um the four aspects are the the, right. the, the tangible artifact itself, the okay. thing that's made. Then there's the um the process of the thing in its making, right? The process of making. And then there's the third is the the qualities of the the artifact and then the fourth aspect is the uh the enjoyment of the artifact okay um and um the uh what what he argues you know is that just do you want me to just talk about the four full reading of scripture then or just kind of identify there's there's four traditional and it's really kind of three in one is how he describes it right okay. it's there's the literal sense of scripture there's the um what he calls the the allegorical by which he really means the kind of christological right. or typological sense of, of of scripture and then there's the um what he calls the moral sense of scripture and then there's the what he calls the anagogical sense um so the anagogical has to do with um uh the the life of the of the beatific vision right the um the whereas the moral sense has to do with what a person ought to do in the present uh and of course the Christological or allegorical sense has to do with, uh, he describes it as either the eternal generation or incarnation of the son of the divine logos, right? right? And now all these three in here in the one. And the, the point here is that he's, he's making a case that in fact, all human making, and he talks about, I'm talking about the mechanical arts and the common arts in this context, but he draws it across all the verbal arts all of the, you know, the, the philosophias, uh, the different types of, of, of discourse. Um, um, and he kind of gives a comprehensive account, but we're focusing here on the, 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 the common arts or the mechanical arts. But he argues that what happens is um, all three in here in the one. Um, and in our experience, and my observation is that, that what's happened in our experience is we have the enjoyment of the artifact we have lots of tangible artifacts and yep. we have lots of, of and, and, and the quality of it is at least passable, let's say. But what we don't have, what's increasingly suppressed from our experience is precisely our experience of the incarnational dimension. Okay. That is that um, the aspect of uh, the, the making that is like the incarnation, right? The, the, the generation or incarnation of the word. Now, just to back up a step, um, the uh, the other part of this is um, again. I suggest that that people, in fact, still because they're made in the divine image, are still going to want to do this stuff, and that's why even when there is no economic benefit, people still do things like knitting, right? right. People still want to make stuff uh, with their own hands, and where they're actually starting from the they have the idea, they have the plan, they get to execute it. Uh, and bring it to its completion. That sense of of the 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 make going from the uh, the similitude to the communicating the form to the thing. That's that's an experience that people long for because they're made in the divine image. So they're going to try to do it. The the trick is that now we no longer uh, do it um, in the realm of the common arts for the sake of survival. We do it now as a leisure activity. Right. And so what's, so, so why does that matter? Because it would seem like, okay, if I want to, yeah. if I want to knit a sweater, I have an idea of the sweater I want to knit. I get the yarn, I have my needles. 
I pour the idea into the material, making it into, you know, the, I make a form of it. I get to enjoy it. Let's say I make a good sweater, so it's got a, it's got a fine quality. It keeps me warm. What, right. Where's the problem there? I mean, that, that, isn't, that, isn't that what you're saying? Not, yeah. 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 That, that's great. That's, that's I'll give it to you for Christmas. Terrible. I'll give it to you for Christmas, Phil. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll look forward to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so the, the issue isn't that that's a problem. That's what's going on is that that's a revelation of the fact that even though people uh, don't have to do this for survival, we still do it. Right. Right. So it's revelatory of the fact that that we're made in this divine image in a way that we still want to have that experience, uh, even though we're not compelled by external necessity. Right. So um, but what that means is, I mean, there's a way in which um, in terms of our our human formation, like the significance of this with respect to education is it's quite possible for people who focus on the practical in the age of information to simply abandon the common arts, mm. right? To say, well, you, I mean, it's only, you know, uh, decadent wealthy people who can afford, you know, the luxury to, to do knit for themselves, to knit their own socks. That's just only rich people have the luxury to do that. The rest of us have to go to Walmart and buy our socks, right? right? Or to have a wood so, shop in the back, in the back garage or something like that, or to do some oil painting in the, in the attic or something. Right. Okay. Right. So the, the, so what's happened is that they, the danger is that these these mechanical arts are now being transposed to, to leisure, which is increasingly accessible to fewer people, right? So, the, I mean, part of the issue here is that huh. to make a case for the fact that we need to ensure that even in the drive for practicality in the age of information, where people are saying, of course, you need, you know, you need to master the mathematical arts and the verbal arts because they're really important um, in the age of information. Um, that in that that sort of sense of practicality that we don't lose sight of the fact that um, uh, the common arts also actualize an aspect of the divine image in humans in a distinctive way. So, so is that is that your primary concern that if we just to clarify, it, is the primary concern that if we lose the ability to practice the mechanical or common arts? we miss an opportunity to understand part of what it means to be made in the divine image. And that if the mechanical and practical common arts are only the preserve of a select few, then that means, so even if they are able to come to some understanding perhaps of part of what it means to be made in the divine image, most of people won't, most people won't be able to because we don't have time or any kind of um, skill in mechanical and common arts. So, the, yeah, and I think that that's part of the issue that the partial solution there, I think, is for people to be able to, given a certain educational formation, to be able to preserve the knowledge of at least you know, one or a few of the common arts, right? They, they used to be called common arts because there was something everybody had to do for themselves, right? right? right. That, but now, uh, I think if, if you're able to help people preserve a knowledge of at least, you know, one or two of them that they have some living experience of, um, that, that can make a difference in terms of their ability to imagine what's going on in the others. Now, I, I should also clarify, you asked about living knowledge. Um, and I, I add that word not living knowledge because just by way of clarifying, I, I think that all knowledge is living, actually. But the, the, the problem is that we tend to reduce uh, knowledge to information 
which is reducible to a subhuman code, right? And so my I'm positing that that real knowledge um, is not something you can get from a software download. It actually exists only in persons, right? That um, and so that's that's why I use the adjective "living" there in front of knowledge, just to be to be clear that I'm not talking about something that's reducible. Uh, to uh, a system, uh, to a me mechanized system, right? Right. So, 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 what, what, what's your recommendation here? I guess. I mean, is it that schools teach the common arts? That schools teach the mechanical arts? That we we stop employing, you know, mechanized systems to produce our things for us? That takes a lot of time, obviously. I mean, some, right? but there's some place for the common arts in the curriculum. So, and, and this already exists to some extent, right? To the degree that that you've already got lots of schools where there are some sort of, say, um, nature study that involves gardening, right? For example, I mean, that's one of the the common arts, right? It's uh, food production, which he calls agriculture, um, but. Um, so giving people a sense of, oh, this is actually how the process works, right? That, I mean, there are still people who, you know, who don't know that, you know, whose entire experience of food comes from the, the grocery store, right? <laughs> and they think that's the natural habitat, as it were. Um, you know, they're, they're going foraging in the grocery store. They don't realize that this actually comes out of the the ground somewhere or that yes, there's that, dead animals. You know, we had this experience uh, 15 years ago with my daughter who was, I guess eating for the first time chicken on the bone and laughed to our friends who served it and said, ha ha, our chickens don't have bones because we had only ever served her, I guess, chicken breasts off the bone. And, you know, after my wife and I crawled up from underneath the table, we said, well, you know, hon, there are these things, you know, these living animals called chickens. And so clearly she had missed that uh, somewhere, you know, living in living in the city in Vancouver, British Columbia, kind of. She had missed, you know, <clears throat> the farm the farm life. So, yes, that's in the vein of the the Far Side comic about the the boneless chicken ranch, right? Which shows all the chickens flying around the ground with no bones. Yes, it's exact. That's where that's where my daughter, I guess, had thought all chickens came from the boneless chicken ranch, as it were. Yeah. So, but it's so, that kind of mediated experience of, yeah. of food in particular. So, it, it's not requiring. There's two aspects to it. One isn't to say that there's a whole kind of layer of infrastructure you have to add. It's simply to say, we need to make sure we don't lose certain things that lots of schools are already doing, which is ensuring that there's a place for things like uh, helping you know, grammar students to, to get a sense of, of uh, the importance of gardening as, and, and where their food comes from, for example. Um, and I know, uh, you know, Chris Hall has done a lot yeah. of great work with his students um, in the mechanical arts as well, um, and uh, giving them a sense of what it is to make something. Um, and um, yeah, that that's so. It's it's not a it's not a huge overlay, I think, and depending on you know which common arts you end up focusing on and which ones. But to give them some experience of some common arts, I think is is something that needs to be preserved in the context of of, you know, my own, you know, enthusiasm for the, the verbal and mathematical arts. Right. Uh, and so just, just to clarify, can you just like put a point on it and say, I, I think it's a problem when we lose widespread living knowledge of the mechanical common arts, because what is it? Because, you know, well, let me just ask, like, why is, again, why is that a problem? Because the incarnational aspect of uh, the divine image uh uh requires that 
Yeah. Uh, that that would right. be the because okay. it's an aspect of the divine image, right? Uh, to so, want to do that. I'm curious. Does that come out in Bonaventure? Because that that aspect of it doesn't come out in Hugh of Saint Victor, at least in his work, the Didascalicon, which Bonaventure is right. you know references and is really building on. For for Hugh, at least in the Didascalicon. The, all the arts and sciences were ways of overcoming human deficiency and human need. So there's two, two parts to the answer to that question, right? Okay. So the one is that Bonaventure gives a different, slightly different account of the seven mechanical arts from, from Hugh. He, he, he gets the categories from Hugh, but he interprets them in very interesting ways. And I can kind of walk through those in a moment. And the other is that by interpreting them within the framework of this fourfold interpretation of scripture, right. that is essentially incarnational and the incarnation derives from the divine image in humans he's he's going through that that um uh that that kind of theological transformation of of okay. the common arts but the four the way he he so the seven mechanical arts that he, he identifies um of them the first five are based on need Right. Um, so there's the, the need for shelter. So he has kind of rigid shelter making, soft shelter making. And then there's the need for food. He talks about food production and then basically what he calls navigation, but it's food transport or actually food preparation, I should say, is the other one. And then the fifth one is the kind of what he calls navigation, which is basically everything we would call business and transportation of, right. of the goods that he's just described in terms of you know um the needs of, of shelter or, or food but then the last two are what he calls medicine and then the final one is uh the dramatic arts right so medicine he says banishes or removes ills of the body right so um whereas the um um the dramatic arts really for bonaventure that includes almost everything we would call fine arts Right, which is really quite, and the reason he puts them in that category is because the fine arts uh, are all tangible, right? They all involve this making of an artifact. Um, and, and this is the, um, but their purpose is to, uh, as he puts it, um, banish sorrow and provide consolation, right? That's how he describes it. Um, and in a sense, you might call it as you know, engaging the, the affections and the imagination. Um, that's, um, uh, and, and just to unpack a little bit, he would think of all the other things that we would think of as, as fine arts, it arguably have a place within the dramatic arts, right? And that's why he, he uses the word dramatic arts to, as a way of identifying the category that is their kind of the most, he calls the most noble form, but it really includes, again, everything we would call fine arts. Uh, that is things whose only reason for being is not instrumental uh, in a sense of a survival issue, but in terms of an enjoyment. Right. But, and, and, but Hugh is the same way. I mean, Hugh says the exact same thing about medicine, which is number six for him, and theatrics, which includes for him games, puppetry, and he's got all this great, great list of things. And he says, and basically, it's we need those kinds of things for the re refreshing delight of our weary souls and to keep us from doing more bad things. <laughs> he's like, I mean, it's sort of like the theatrics are there to, because otherwise we're going to get involved in all kinds of bad things that aren't good for us. And so this is one way we, you know, uh, we distract us from those things as well as bringing kind of refreshing delight for us. So, so that's, that's substantively the same then between yes. Bonaventure and, and Hugh, then the, the difference would be the, the theological framework. So, uh, in this text, uh, on the De, De Reductione, uh, 
Bonaventure walks through how the arts then the common arts are all in their character they have an they have an analogy with the fourfold interpretation of scripture that is and it's and the fourfold is a little bit misleading it's really more like three in one right it's probably the most accurate way to describe it he says it's if there's the one the, the literal sense and in hearing in the literal is the the other three spiritual senses right um and um and ultimately for bonaventure because um uh of his understanding of the incarnation uh, and then the the way which creation comes into being through the divine word this is also his 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 account of ontology actually he's account of what's real as well okay yeah and 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 hugh doesn't correlate the mechanical arts with the fourfold interpretation of scripture though he 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 certainly has the fourfold interpretation yeah. but doesn't correlate it with the, the mechanical right. arts what what he does do in his um in another work desacramentus he does reflect on the the creative nature of Adam and Eve and says there's a reason God didn't name the animals because he wanted Adam to exercise his creative function. And so there and you know and he wanted Adam to exercise his creative function with the animals and with caring for creation. And so 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 those elements are there but not in the same way uh, yeah. it sounds like. All right, so the, this this is this is fascinating. Hey um can I ask you about uh, you got a book coming out? Two. So you've, you've got a book coming out called The Lost Seeds of Learning, Grammar, Logic, and Rhetoric as Life-Giving Arts. So shifting from the mechanical arts, from your article that's coming out in Precipia to Grammar, Logic, and Rhetoric as Life-Giving Arts, um, it, it, just in the title of that book, what, can, you, can you say a word about what, what you mean by calling Grammar, Logic, and Rhetoric Lost Seeds? So the, the title itself is a response to the obviously widely known essay by uh, Dorothy Sayers on the lost tools of learning. Okay. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not critical of, of Sayers. Uh, Sayers is an inheritor of a distinguished uh, kind of Aristotelian tradition, which views the, the verbal arts as, um, as tools in the Aristotelian sense that they have purposes um, and uh, that are, are, they're suited for a particular end. Um, and, and but there's two issues here that I pick up on. One is the fact that in uh, in the modern period, we've introduced this idea of a neutral tool, um, that tools in fact have no intrinsic ends. And that sort of means that we're, we're predisposed to misunderstand the nature of tools uh, okay. as distinct from the way the scholastics do. But then there's also a second issue, which is we tend to, um, as a result of, of thinking of, of, of the verbal arts only as tools, uh, we tend to think of them then um, we forget that they're actually also compared to seeds, which is a central biblical image. And I argue that when we forget that that uh, they can also function as seeds, uh, we we lose sight of actually the ability to imagine verbal communication uh, in a way that that makes the the uh, Christian communication of the gospel possible. So that that's really an issue there. Uh, if you don't if you think that that words can only serve humanly uh, derived purposes in, in instrumental uh, terms, then um, uh, you're, you're precluding uh, the ability to communicate life as a seed would, for example. Are you suggesting that just as a particular seed has kind of one telos, one plant, one tree it will grow into, so grammar, logic, and rhetoric have a certain orientation and to see them as neutral tools 
that might be ordered or oriented towards any end is to somehow violate their integrity? I would just adjust it slightly to yeah. say that it's really to do with the nature of, of language because uh, the, the, what grammar, logic, and rhetoric all share in common is that they're verbal arts, so that their knowledge of how to use words, right? And the, um, whether it be using words to make faithful renderings of reality and grammar or making arguments in logic or making uh, whole persuasive discourses that engage the whole person in rhetoric, in each case, you're using words. Um, and it's really the issue is to recognize that uh, the character of the languages that we're using um, that there are purposes embedded in the language that we don't, that aren't simply subjectively chosen, right? That they're given. Um, and I mean, that they're, and the argument that I make is that their highest purposes are uh, the communication of self giving life. Um, but the, they can do other things as well, right? Um, and uh, the, um, uh, so there's a distinction there between uh, what's, what's possible and, um, and what's, uh, in a sense, the highest purpose in, in, in language itself. And so when we use the arts, we're trying to, um, you can use the arts with a view to uh, that highest purpose, uh, or you can have subordinate purposes that are oriented towards that ultimate end, right. um, or, you can, or you can have a corruption, right, right. as well. That's great. Hey, um, so am I right that the Lost Seeds of Learning book on grammar, logic, and rhetoric, which again is coming out in fall 2021 with Classical Academic Press, is that the first in a series? I mean, do you have other volumes, I think, building on this one? Is that correct? Yeah. So there'll be, uh, the plan is for there to be uh, a volume devoted to each of the the, uh, verbal arts. There'll be a volume on grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Uh, The volume on grammar uh, will, each of them will focus on interpreting a text in the tradition. So uh, the volume on grammar will focus on uh, on Bonaventure and Hugh of St. Victor as sort of a framework for thinking about grammar uh, in light of the incarnation. Uh, the volume on logic at this point is planned to, to take uh, uh, Anselm's uh, proslogion uh, as a way of thinking about logic in relationship to uh, the a framework of, of praise of the divine. Um, and then the, the, the third vol- or the final volume, uh, it's actually fourth, of, uh, will be a reading of Augustine's Confessions as a way of, it, of considering how it transforms the five tasks of the orator uh, in light of the incarnation. Okay. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's what the, the plan is. So fascinating. Yeah, I'm I, I looking f- re- very much looking forward to all three of those volumes. Um, published in the next five years or, is, or can, are, are you hesitant to put a time frame on these? Hasn't to put a time frame on it. I, there is Donnelly's 300% rule, which is however long I think it's going to take, it's going to take about 300% longer. <laughs> so I, but uh, yeah, that, that's the, the, the ensuing projects. Let me, let me wrap us up there. Uh, so first let me say thank you. Uh, Dr. Donnelly from Baylor's uh, Great Text Program uh, and Professor of Literature there for joining us today. And let me remind everybody, his article, uh, which will come out in February 2022 in Volume 1, Issue 1 of Principia, 
is called A Grammar for Human Making in a Digital Age, Bonaventure on the Mechanical and Liberal Arts. And his book coming out this fall from Classical Academic Press, that's fall 2021. It's called Lost Seeds of Learning, Grammar, Logic, and Rhetoric as Life-Giving Arts. So uh, let me wrap it there. I'm Brian Williams, General Editor of Principia, and this has been the Principia Podcast. Podcast.